Yeah, if, if you're like in line right now for Super Not Mario pretend. Wonder, stay in take line. Your, take your shirt off and like oh. whirl it around or something. Get <laughs> we'll find you. Yeah. yeah, we'll see it. And we'll know. Welcome to the Well Played DLC Podcast, Australia's juiciest gaming podcast. I am Zach Jackson, joined by James Wood. Howdy, gamers. Adam Ryan. I don't know why that was Hello. so... Hey, oh. uh, and Nathan... Yeah, that's... Yep, yep. Nathan Hennessy's here as well. Thank you, Zach. Yip, yip, Jackson. Yip, yip. And <laughs> returning uh, is Jordan Garcia. Hello, hello. It's been a while. It has been a while. Well, not long enough, I would say. All right, see you guys. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Now, you're always welcome here, Mr. Podcast Editor. How are you? Are you addressing me specifically? Or Just or you, everyone? mate. I don't care about anybody else. <laughs> um, I'm good. Been uh, busy as hell, but happy that my work has paid off because I finally upgraded my PC. So nice. I'm a happy boy. What kind of rig you got in there now? Uh, I now have a 7950X with a 3080 Ti and 64 gigs of DDR5 6000 megahertz memory. Fuck and yeah, about, they're numbers. Shit, bro. About <laughs> eight terabytes of eight NVMe terabytes SSD storage. Yeah, that's a lot of fucking. Jesus, what, what is it like hentai that you're into, isn't it? Actually, I have four. <laughs> I have four terabytes for Adobe. Oh, I can really? see that actually. Yeah, because footage takes a lot, and having a really responsive drive for Premiere Pro is very Four terabyte. Helpful. Yeah. That is fucked up. Mm. Yes, mm-hmm. that coming to us from the 20th century. How you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm all right. How's everybody else? In need of a headshot, apparently. Look at this. Mate. You all look fucked. I am getting <laughs> the sexiest yeah. and the freshest fade in the east side on... Thursday, can't wait. James will see it Thursday night. Yeah, I'm getting one on Thursday as well. Oh, my my barber gone and quit in the last week, so now I'm having like a crisis oh, of confidence. You're a bastard. Okay, there yeah. is just there is a very you know non-zero chance that I look like an absolute goof on Friday. Don't you live like mm. there's barber on every block, mate? It's like cafes. He's not wrong. It's not the and point. More of popping up every other week. Yeah, once you, you build a relationship, and once that's mm-hmm. gone, you need to start from. Yeah. Why, why don't Nathan, why don't you ask one of those clowns at like the traffic lights or whatever to be a barber? <laughs> oh, fuck. They've started performing at night as well. They've been driving around. They're, they're still dancing all the barber. intersections at like 10 o'clock at night. I think old mate from Press Start can confirm this. He might have been in the car last time I saw them, but uh, they're still around. They're, they're, they're growing in number. They're becoming more tenacious. <laughs> we're getting rid of level crossings, but we've got to get rid of, cr- of clown crossings, mate. <laughs> well... It's the Australian Insane Clown Posse. Uh, Taxpayer in Melbourne. Come on. Hey, podcast. James, how are you? You've been yeah, very mate. quiet. What's up? Have I? A little bit. 
Yeah. All right. No, good. I was thinking about, um, I recently changed hairdresser and, uh, I'd obviously never been to this dude before and midway through the haircut, he started telling me about how in his other job as a zookeeper, he would uh, jiggle uh, the cage that tourists have to stand in to watch the animals so uh-huh. that he could see the women's breasts move. And uh. I'm just sitting there the whole time with this, this dude's like fingers running through my hair. Like I want to go, man. And that's why rapport and trust like matters with a barber oh you know you can't God, just you. you said hairdresser and now you're saying barber i like, can't uh interchangeable who gives Is a it? shit it's the 21st century not, man grow up not exactly but you know you can yeah. be both uh, pop pop off here. <laughs> hair is a construct <laughs> <laughs> anyone else got any funny um hair barber stories yeah, I've got no barber related. Preferably without sexual assault no barber related stories but what do we all expect to pay for a just a simple cut at the barber oh i'm so glad that you asked because when i booked mine this week i had a heart attack when he, when i thought he was charging 60 bucks for a cut no that's 60 bucks for a cut and a beard trim 40 bucks for a mm. cut which is still over twice what i was paying a decade ago yeah uh, mine's crept up to 35 recently and i think that is too high for especially for what i need done which is yep. just a basic cleanup mm. Zach Jackson uh, and your sick fade. Two, well, I don't love it. But Two ninety nine. Oh, fuck. <laughs> oh, my God. Just about died. 50 bucks at the moment. Yeah. And that's the, the, the closest place. Don't love it. Um, He's paying them east side but, prices. But the place that does the cheaper one is not quite as good. So I'd rather pay the, the 10 extra. Where I used yeah. to go in Elston Week was 40 bucks. And they were quite good. And I still went there until, but see, I I kind of go to work on my lunch break. I'll duck out, get a haircut, come back. I mean, it's all about time management, mate. Mm. Um, but the yeah. story I wanted to share is that I took in a picture of a football player one time. Said this is what I want my hair to look, and it looked nothing like that guy, and it looked kind of like the hairdresser's um, hair. And I said, "This doesn't really look." He goes, "No, I think this looks better on you." And <laughs> he's, he's bearing the lead here. The photo, so, the reference photo he gave the dude was of Jason Ackermanis while he was with the Lions. Oh, <laughs> yes. It was, was definitely not. But um, yeah, oh, what a okay. fucking stitch up. And still charged me like fucking 40 bucks. Oof. Anyway, shout outs. Imagine Podcast? Zach with Frosty games? Tips. Yeah, games. I, oh, mate, I used to <laughs> rock mean tips. Fuck, I uh, bet you did too. I even got my. Uh, mean when, tips when I was in my. Shorts. When I was in my Jared Leto phase, I got my hair at the, at, at the end, like, tipped red um, Ooh, when it was a bit oh, longer. Jesus. Like a, so how, how much do I have to like, pay you not to red have frosted like tips at PAX? <laughs> it wouldn't be that much, I don't reckon. I reckon I, reckon I could still rock the old Just do some tips. teal ones. Absolutely. Oh, no, don't, don't do that. We have to walk around Absolutely. with them, don't forget. Yeah. All right, let's talk about video games. Let's get this podcast on the road because we got fucking heaps to talk about. So, let's go. All right. Has anyone got anything that they want to talk about that they've been playing that is important? If it's not important, keep it to yourself. I finished Sons of the Forest and I'm proud of myself for doing so. I said important. How was that? It was fucking great. Although the the ending just kind of sneaks up on you. We were like, look, we'll, we'll play like another 20 minutes, finish off this cave and then fuck it, I'm going to bed. And then like mm-hmm. an hour and a half later, because it was just like cutscene into this cutscene into right. that we'd finished the game. Um, but we'll, we'll most likely go back because it's still in early access and they're mm. pumping new shit into it all the time. So we'll go back once it finally goes into 
1.0, but game's great and would recommend yeah. if you're into survival games. Had a great uh, I'm time. just waiting for that console drop. So Yeah, man. I'll play it with you when it when it comes out on console. Oh, thank you. I appreciate Let's lock that. Lock that in. Yeah. Sure you guys have a right laugh about it. <laughs> no doubt, mate. Undoubtedly. All right, very good. Uh, anybody else got anything that they want to talk about before we move on to the content? Yeah, I'll rinse on Zelda real quick. So I've been playing uh, Tears of the Kingdom for the past week, trying to come back around that and trying to crack it, like actually feel like I'm invested. 25 hours in, I've you know seen about, like I've discovered maybe all but three of those towers on the map. So I've seen most of the base world, but I just it still isn't clicking for me. And I think I've figured it out. The game is just a little bit too fiddly. Like I struggle to get much momentum in the game because then I've kind of got to stop and like build a contraption out of really wonky like Gary's mod tools before I can then continue on. Mm. So I keep hitting that barrier. And then like when I'm in the sky, it's uh, kind of an agonizing platforming puzzle up in there as well. Um, and again, like and I guess the other big areas, the depths, haven't really clicked with that either. So 25 hours in and I'm still just kind of not that crazy to go back into it despite the fact that it is probably uh, fantastic. I mean, it- does click after about the 300 hour mark so yeah 300 <laughs> hours you've got, you got a little bit to go at what well, point I was hoping do you that it would click before 30 yeah. that's a good question i was going to ask a similar what was question. the question uh at, at what point do you pull the pin i think i'm just gonna keep like it's a it's a kind of a comfort game like if i want to go on a little adventure for a couple of hours so i'll come back to it every now and again but I don't see myself like pulling the pin on it necessarily. It'll it'll still sit towards the top of the backlog for the next twelve months. Zach, we're asking the wrong man. This is the the guy who's like, so the JRPG really hated it for review. <laughs> played about eighty five hours, and that got through the first act. So I think maybe yeah, that's, that's a fast first act. It's yeah. a thankless job. <laughs> Someone's mm. got to do it, mate. We yep. appreciate you. Very nice. All right, let's kick off the content with a. Hopefully one of the lesser titles. Might be a juicy little discussion though, but it's something that we've all played, minus Jordan, unless Jordan has played it. And that's Payday 3, Will, because this came out a while ago, so we'll get this one out of the way. Nathan, James, and Adam and I have have all played it (laughs) at certain points. I reckon (laughs) I've probably, more me and Nathan have probably put the most hours into it here for sure. Um, So, I mean, yeah, like it's, you know, if you've played the payday games before, this is more just more payday. So we're talking about robbing banks, or there's you know you rob jewelry stores. There's um, a mission where you uh, steal from a nightclub, uh, warehouse like a docky a dock warehouse thing. Um, yeah, so basically it's like a high, it's a cooperative. No, no, would would it be cooperative, or is that yeah, like absolutely, absolutely? Yeah, sorry, no, sorry, I was thinking of competitive uh yeah so it's a cooperative heist game squad of four and yeah uh the story is you don't really need to know but the gang from the previous game have sort of come out of retirement and they're hitting up uh new york yes Yes. uh and yeah there's eight missions in the game eight heists in the game and yeah, the the story plays out through through these cutscenes that are basically still images with like narrative over the top or like dialogue over the top. Very skippable. Don't need to watch them. Um, I didn't even know they were there. They are there. Uh, well, mainly because you probably haven't been the party leader. I would say that that's why. Well, there you go. 
Yeah. yeah. Uh, and when I did play, try to play one, I didn't get any sound. So, um, <laughs> but but that was on launch. So I, I who, couldn't. Who needs t- sound though? Yeah. Well, it's all vibes. Absolutely. I thought games were all just about interpretive dance. I will say, Payday Three is a game a little bit about vibes. So it is a <laughs> game for sure. That's a good start. It is, I don't know how to explain it. It is dated. It is frustrating. It's a fucking absolute slog, but I have the best time with it. I have a lot of fun playing it, um, even though the mechanics are a bit shit and it's very thin and very threadbare in terms of its content. Um, Nathan can probably get this. He's probably seen it more than you guys, but like the guy who we also play with, Jason, who was one of the people who started the website, but he and I just play this religiously like like when like when payday 2 came out we, like we would just play mission after mission just 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 repeating them just to try and stealth them and just kind of we like we just keep playing it so that side of it like i, I really do enjoy but as someone with a bit of a you know critic hat on uh you know there there are some flaws and there are some some big big flaws uh i think the gunplay even though it is better than the previous game but marginally uh, I think that still feels a bit dated, clunky. Reloading is slow. It, I, and I'm like, I know that's done deliberately because, you know, to try and spice up and, and make it a bit more chaotic. But as a first, you know, this is a first person shooter, right? Like this. So I feel like that is a core mechanic. Um, and I feel like this time around, there should have been a, a much bigger step. Um, Progression we'll talk about very, very quickly, um, but just other little things like just general mechanic stuff like you... So in order to really kind of do anything in these heists, you have to mask up and... But in this, in Payday 3, they introduced a couple new um, mechanics so you can vault and you can climb, you know, up buildings and stuff if there's like boxes and ledges and whatnot. But... The thing is, is you have to mask up. So in order to do that, you know, you've got to mask up, which means you basically start the high. So you, it's very, very hard. This game is a game that teases you with like with a lot of stealth options, and it's a, it's very, 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 very difficult to to do it without masking up because there's areas that are blocked off, um, areas that you can't get to unless you actually do mask up and vault vault over. I do wish that they kind of had maybe made this a little bit more dynamic and give the player a little bit more choice. So maybe you have uh, one use of being able to demask, you know, right? You, you mask yeah, up once. That, that's the thing. Once you've masked yeah. up, you're in for yeah. the long haul. You, yeah. you can't go back to stealth. doesn't yeah. matter if no one spotted you. So, you know, so there's one roof, uh, one mission that we're quickly talking about, and that's the art gallery one, right? And there's a really good easy way in through the roof, but you've got to mask up to get to the roof. So it kind of, um, yeah, there's a little bit of, it's like poor, I don't want to say poor design, but it's. I feel like they could I have. Would, you reckon? Okay. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's implausible to suggest that you can't clamber onto a box without first whipping out a yeah. gun and whacking a mask on. But this I is. Mean, like, I mean, yeah. This this is uh, very very much the the same as as the previous game. So like, you, before you could really do anything, you had to kind of mask up. Um, uh, and yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll power through the rest of it, but very, very quickly, like the progression is a big frustration. Oh. It was a big frustra- uh, frustration in Payday 2. 
once you get to a certain point, so maybe like around level 20, let's say, it does slow kind of right down, like your progression. And that's really not so much the issue, even though it is, but each of your weapons have their own level system as well. So in order to actually unlock upgrades or whatnot, you have to actually, so you can go and spend all this money on a weapon that is, um, so I had to wait to level 25, to, uh, level 21, sorry, to get a particular assault rifle, which was marginally better than the opening one, right? But then I actually have to spend, you know, which cost me like a good good whack of money and I had to spend a lot of money uh, to buy it. And then, but then I got to wait. I've actually got to use it and use it and level that up before I can even upgrade that. So, you know, it's it's that part is a, is a big grind and I feel like they could have made, maybe have made that a bit more friendlier um, it's also a very limited progression so if you yeah. keep using that weapon in the same manner over and over again and it gets to level eight it can just eventually stop earning xp altogether yeah because you've got to fulfill certain conditions like scores headshots yeah. or particular body parts <clears throat> so just use so, it, it's not necessarily going to net you xp yeah so there's so there's challenges that are tied to your weapons and the highest and stuff like that and i feel like that uh, shoehorns you in to playing a certain way, not playing your own way to Correct. a certain degree. Um, the uh, a couple of little things I think are quite poor, and we've talked we've talked about not being able to mask up. But little things like when you're actually in the, the I don't know the mission ready or the mission starting lobby screen. Um, if you hit ready, you can't unready. So if you decide that you want to make a last minute or like a last second change, you can't do that. You're locked in. There's th so things like favors, so you can get favors, which is like an extra ammo bag, this key card maybe. Um, you can't go back and actually add that. You're stuck with that thing. And I also think it's a little bit shit that you can't buy the favors from that screen because they're hidden well down in, in the actual purchasing menus, right? So I feel like there should be a way to just buy one directly from that screen. And speaking of buying things where it's fucking poor, uh, the weapon purchasing or just the, the buying layout itself in general, but it's it's the worst when you're talking about weapons because you have primary and secondary weapons, right? So your primary and the game believes that you have that you know what we're talking about and that you've applied game logic to these weapons. But there is no indicators on what is a primary and what is a secondary weapon at all in these menus. Or when you go to actually buy a weapon, they're all in the same vendor right so you could be in the primary um, or in the secondary weapon slot go purchase weapon it'll take you to the weapons menu go sweet i'll buy this shotgun sounds awesome happened to me in the preview happened to nathan while <laughs> while we were playing it um you then go to the secondary weapon thing to equip equip the shotgun can't do it because it's a primary weapon but there's nothing in at all that actually tells you that this is a primary weapon not before um, not during not after nothing yeah. whatsoever <clears throat> so that secondary weapon you've bought the game just doesn't even tell you there's not even a valid secondary weapon just how are you doing thanks for your money mm. uh and yeah and eight, eight missions feel a bit thin uh some of them are quite cool like but we had a nightclub in payday 2 we had a warehouse dock in payday 2 we had a jewelry store in payday 2 we had banks banks are fine whatever we had a couple of banks in payday 2 there's just not much new here. And and Payday 2 got like over 100 heists with it. Like it just feels a bit tight, especially the, the base game is like, what, 60, 70 bucks. And to buy the gold edition, which is your first year of season pass, so four extra heists, it's 150 bucks pretty much. So you're paying an extra like 90 or 80 bucks for four missions. It's just that part feels a bit fucking stingy. Other than that though, uh, I really do quite like. I think the, some of the levels are laid out pretty well, even though some of the actual de 
design of the mechanics, what you do in the missions um, are a bit dated. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm having a lot of fun with it. I haven't finished the review, but I'd say it's about a six to a six and a half for me at the moment. Nathan James Adam. I'll, I'll weigh in with a with a quick little amusing story so that the AI in this game is oh. like atrocious, but <laughs> you just grin and bear it because, you know, like you're already doing the heavy lifting to enjoy this game with your mates. But I remember there's this one section on this um, kind of the shipping container level where you've got to use a zipline at a certain point. We had a AI character with us, Wolf. Uh, it seems to us that the AI are not yet programmed to use the zipline. So as we ziplined into this other location... Wolf just stood outside the fence there and just started smoking a cigarette for the rest of the mission. Like, we just come back, we just see him standing there smoking. He's so just gone on smoko. It's oh, also, nice. It's also, they don't do shit until you mask up. By that point, we're well and truly yeah, masked I, up. Yeah, I, I think, you know, maybe... <laughs> yeah, they just wander. Out. But when I did the mission the other night by myself, I was infiltrating the, you know, the the building, and they all, all three of them were outside just fucking... <laughs> chomping on some darts mate so they're brilliant you, yeah, you have yeah. to laugh yeah if you can't stand a bit of jank you'll hate this yeah it definitely is janky and i've written like my final well one of the bits of my summary is that if you haven't if payday two or one didn't didn't bite you you know you're not going to feel the bite here at all yeah um, james adam you got any quick thoughts on payday three i i had a whole shitload of fun playing it from start to finish. Um, but I think the vast majority of that fun was had just through banter and good times with, with you lads. Um, the game feels old, like it feels at a minimum 10 years old, both in design choices, general mechanics and visuals in saying that if you haven't, I think maybe if you haven't played payday one or two, you could still have fun with this because it is just like a chuck on bash about co-op game. Um, but yeah, unless they put some real TLC behind it, I don't see myself coming back to it all that often unless you boys are playing it. Yeah. Did, did you ever play with random Zach? No, I either go solo or. Yeah. I couldn't stomach the thought of playing this with strangers. Yeah. <laughs> it would be a slog. I would imagine. I think with payday two, like I did quite a bit like me and Jason would, play with some some randoms but yeah not with this one yet given that matchmaking was effectively broken on launch which seems to have been fixed now fingers crossed james you got any you want to shit on it for a moment or two but (laughs) (laughs) no no look it 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 is what it is like you've done a good job summing it up like i i i didn't i didn't love it um i loved hanging out with you guys that's is what it is most games are improved by co-op yeah so yeah i think it's yeah yeah how does it compare as a cooperative shooter as opposed to something like um, GTFO or Killing Floor? <laughs> I know that they're like different styles. It's, it's but much closer to Killing Floor in that it does still feel like a 10-year-old game. That, that <laughs> game still feels 10 years old. Like it just feels like playing <laughs> Left 4 Dead. Yeah. Yeah, it, it mm-hmm. does. I think they're very different. GTFO and, and this are very different experiences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. GTFO is quite um, polished too. I think is. in a way but, though, it will it will appeal to a certain kind of gamer who just kind of wants four walls and a roof and doesn't need <laughs> you know all of the the flashy bells and whistles so i'm sure there is game. yeah i'm sure there is an audience that will appreciate payday because it is more of like a a classic co-op shooter um 
but yeah, I don't know. I just expect a little bit more from the genre now that it's a bit more well-worn. Mm. Mm. I, I Just on the GTFO thing, I think gunplay in GTFO is still a bit on the weaker side. I think the guns like a little bit of punch. I've um, also not seen much of them. I, I can't imagine you think that uh, the gunplay in Payday 3 is good, though. Like I think it's fine, but it's dated. Mm. Um, okay. I will say with GTFO, it depends on the gun you use, because some of the other guns have some good hefts to them. Mm, okay. I'd say yeah. the, the criminal thing with, with Payday is all the weapons feel pretty much exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can purchase the exact same weapon again and again. For you can. No that is. So the game doesn't know what to do about it. I, yeah. And it doesn't even tell you if it's a secondary. No. Yeah. yeah. It's like, I mean, do you want to buy yeah. the base weapon again? That'll be $100,000. Like, uh, no, I'm fine. Thanks. <laughs> like, it, like, it definitely feels like, I, I want to wrap it up, but it definitely feels like they've not, they've just basically slapped in the same mechanics from Payday 2, polished it up a tiny bit. Mm. Like, it, it makes me wonder a little bit if I'm going to, have a real crack at it be like well, what have they been doing for 10 years like i know they've been doing content for payday 3 uh sorry for payday 2 but this game's been mm-hmm. in development for four or five years like eight missions pretty bang average gunplay really so mm-hmm. and it's on unreal what's the new one five so it's on unreal four that's an unreal five Oh, four, no, it's, four, it's not. Four. Four. I was about to okay, say, cool. I was going to say, no, I couldn't. <laughs> yeah. for a second, I was like, is six the new one or is it five the new one? Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah cool. Cool. Um, let's move on because that's is, that was way too long. So, Adam. Hello. You went digging. I have been digging. I've been digging in my hometown. So, I for the last week or so have been playing Bilkin's Folly, which is developed by uh, a one-man Tazzy development studio, Webisoft, uh, that is literally in the town that I currently am in, which is Hobart. Uh, so it was, yeah, all kinds of... Uh, all thoughts aside from the, the review itself, pretty special to be able to review a game um, from the town that I live in, in Tasmania. A tiny little island at the bottom of a bigger island. It, yeah, very, very cool. Um, but yes, so Bilkins follow you play as Percy Bilkins, who is a treasure hunter who has set off to find his missing mother and grandfather, both treasure hunters in their own right. Of course, fate kind of gets in the way and he ends up getting washed up on a deserted island. So then you have to go on this little adventure to find them, dig up buried treasure, get rich on the way all that wonderful piratey goodness. So it's set in like the, the 1700s era of piracy and swashbuckling and all those fun things. And the, the key mechanic of the game is hunting for buried treasure. So it's a cross between like a classic adventure game. I know that it has a, a lot of old school Zelda influences. So big open map, lots of colorful characters to go and chat to, little adventures to go on. Um, but also, it's also part cartography. So to find the treasure, it's not just, it's beneath the big tree, yar. There's a map, there's little clues that you have to kind of decipher, and then you've got like a ruler and a pencil and markers that you can use on the map in a very tangible way to kind of work your way towards it. It's very, yeah, it's it's very, very cool in the fact that it's a bit more hands-on than a lot of other puzzles in adventure games 
So you set off and there are three, I want to say three main items, I suppose, that you can uncover throughout the the game. There's junk items, which kind of go towards a campaign long puzzle with this chessboard. There are doubloons, which is used as like the currency in the game. So you can buy new items, lanterns, rope, all of that business. Uh, and then there's quest items, which are, you know, the, the main, the main quest line, Hey, I need you to find my wooden leg. You set out, you find the wooden leg, you progress the quest. That is pretty much all that you'll find. Uh, one of the, the the biggest things that I've found early on is that I got a little bit tired of just uncovering either money or, oh, it's an old boot or it's a helmet that will just be another item that kind of clogs up my menu. There's there's no like, if I think maybe if I could unlock helmets that you could wear or boots or some sort of cosmetic that you could kind of work your way towards. Maybe that would give me a bit more incentive to, to kick around a little bit longer. Um, but as it stands, you just unlock those three different kinds of items and they all sit within your menu and that's about all they do. Um, but even still it's, it, the hunt is probably better than the treasure because I did really enjoy deciphering the, the puzzles. Unfortunately, if I got stuck, tough shit. Um, there's not any sort of hint system. The hint system is characters will kind of lightly allude to where you need to go or what you need to do, but it can be left very much up to interpretation and they're not all that helpful. I, I gather you don't want it to solve itself, but no hint system at all. Um, it very much felt like an old school adventure game in Kind of the bad way where you'd get stuck and frustrated rather than stuck and enthused to try to figure it out. I got more hitting a brick wall more than anything. Um, Speaking of hitting a brick wall, it has some technical issues that I ran into pretty frequently. Um, you've got a dog named Drayton who will follow you around. He's a very good boy. I'll talk more about him in a quick sec. Um, but he'd often get stuck or wander off and I'd have to go and find him. Um, the, it has a, like that dreaded console cursor where all of the menus have a little cursor that you have to use the thumbstick to, to move around the screen. Fucking hate, that. Fucking hate those. They're dreadful. Um, occasionally it would jump from the menu to just the, the game world itself, actual gameplay. So if I wanted to go right, I'd start pressing right and the cursor would move across the screen and then I would move really irritating. Um, some NPCs wouldn't spawn, including some quest givers, which I'd have to reboot a few times. And there's a town setting, really cute little cobblestone town setting that had a bunch of characters in it that kind of wander around the map. That's for a, a particular quest where you have to find people depending on what they look like, but holy fuck did it tank performance. Like it felt like I was moving through quicksand. Like even if I was running, we're talking like single digits kind of fucked, which was painful because you spend quite a bit of time in that town. Um, Drayton, yes, your dog. He has different little skills that you can unlock. So you can tell him to stay. You can tell him to kind of hunt for treasure in little crevasses that you can't access that sort of thing. The skills are unlocked kind of periodically just through spending time with him, I guess. So you can pat him, pick him up, all that sort of jazz. Um, that's fine. It gives a, a little bit of depth to, 
having him around. He'll often sniff out uh, just kind of generic loot as well. So if he sniffs and barks at the ground, then you can dig it up from there. So he is helpful. Um, but yeah, the the way you unlock skills is a little bit odd because it just kind of throws a skill point at you here and there instead of actually doing something. Um, the last little bit that I'll go over is some of the side activities. So when you're not hunting for treasure, there are a couple little kind of puzzle activities that you can do, uh, like lock picking. You kind of, there's a, a board with a, a rough shape around it and you have these um, Tetris pieces that you have to fit into the board. I don't really know how that correlates to picking a lock, but fuck it, that's okay. Um, that's pretty inoffensive. There are other puzzle activities that are just not fun, like fishing. There's a grid. To be honest, I don't know how the fuck you do it. It doesn't explain it very well, and I just kind of bluffed my way through it. But there's a grid that shows kind of the ocean, and then you can assign different movements like up to across one, down one, and you have to play those out in sequence to make you, your hook go around obstacles and to the fish. It was fucking painful and I hated doing it every time. Um, so a lot of the little side activities, while I understand they're there to kind of mix up gameplay a little bit, I found them more irritating than anything else. Uh, eventually they give you the option to just skip it because again, there's no hint system. Um, but that came a little bit too late. I found by the time it, it gives you a little white flag that it waves. I wanted to throw my controller at the wall. Um, so it probably could have kicked in a little bit sooner. But at the end of the day, so it's got a really nice pixel art style. It's very, very cute, very charming. The writing's very, like, quippy. It's kind of Monkey Island-esque in that way, I suppose. Um, it's got a nice little story alongside it as well. It's a very heartwarming little tale. Um, but it does have its fair share of quirks and issues as well. So I'd really like to see maybe a follow-up game that expands on things and kind of fixes some little gripes that I have. Um, but yeah, as it stands, while I'd recommend it if you've got the time, it's not perfect by any stretch. Cool. All right. Uh, you gave that a 6.5, I believe. I what did, do you think yes. What do you think of the voice acting? Uh, there is none. There is no voice acting. There's just like little mumbled kind of... I, I don't know, nothing, like kind of a nothing language, kind of like, like the, the old school Zelda's, like, I suppose. It's like um, gibberish, yeah. Um, yeah, so just kind of gibberish language. It's cute oh, enough. It's like Animal Crossing. The story yeah. behind that was that he actually bought, um, I mean, it was cheaper, like it was a budget thing, right? Yeah, um, yeah. But he actually bought these like sample packs of gibberish, basically, to use as placeholders, and then he was like, yeah, no, this will work. This will be fine. Well, not this will be fine, but he, he thought this suited it. I actually thought it, it was... I think it, it yeah. Yeah. It matches the kind of the quirky tone, so I have no issue with it at all. Uh, and if you do get stuck, you can find a guide on the website on wellplayed.com.au, but you only get it oh. when our actually guide maker gets, when he's unstuck, because he's, uh, he's, he's stuck at the moment. So we'll, uh, <laughs> <laughs> when he's read another Good. guide, he'll finish his guide. No, <laughs> yeah, nice. But, um, all right, cool. Thank you very much, Adam. Uh, nice. Nathan, talk to us about Witchfire. Witchfire. So it's been about 10 years now since a little Polish studio, the Astronauts, bought out The Vanishing of Ethan Carter. Now, this is a studio that Zach tells me he's got some talent from like Bulletstorm and uh, Painkiller. Uh, so, you know, some first person. So, yeah. 
so just so this is the studio that uh, is founded by at least one, at least one of the founders of People Can Fly. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so I guess the reason why I, I give that little bit of preamble is there is clearly some like first person shooter talent at work here, and it's very much on display with this game. So this is set in a kind of dark gothic fantasy that's, you know, in a modern enough era that it has not just bolt action rifles, but also like fully automatic machine guns. Uh, this is a world where a witch has basically, you know, brought a plague of undead and other rotten calamities upon the land. And the Vatican has tasked a witch hunter that is called a prayer. That's P. R-E-Y-E-R. It's fucked me up numerous times. Uh, so you, the prayer, are going to set forth into these uh, rogue light... Yes, Zach. I, I just have a question for you. Um, yes, mate. In a piece of uh, internet writing that I read, not like an article, but a, a forum, mm-hmm. this, people were hammering this game for this premise in how do you in, in the sense story? of i guess the in in the sense of actually doing shit for the church like you know given the church is fucked and whatnot oh okay that's that's amusing because uh that that little preamble around the vatican and that that's all condensed into about a 15 second cutscene. you get the start of the game and there's no more narrative after that so let your imagination do the work there is not much in the way of story here at the helm uh, that didn't surprise me too much. I was expecting something with a, bit, a little bit of like painkiller flavor and that wasn't, you know, a very story heavy game. So that's not a big thing here. But rather what is actually built up is the the world and the world design. This is actually a, a, quite a detailed world. This isn't a procedurally generated world by any means. Uh, so at the moment in early access, we're given two of what appears to be about six locations you, the prayer, will start at a place called the Herbatorium. It's just this little dockside hub that allows you to uh, brew your potions before you go into a, a battle, before you go into an expedition. So your, your health potions, as it were, uh, level up, as well as go to this thing called a workshop, which allows you to, what they say, research um, new weapons, magic, rings, relics, all these different kinds of items, arcana, power-ups. It's really quite robust in terms of how you can plan and sort of theory craft your character at least that's what appears to be on the table there's not a whole lot you can do in this early access period so far because in this period you're given seven weapons uh four magic abilities i think and maybe about another nine uh items so there's a little bit to play with there once you make your way out of the herbatorium so you're effectively uh at the start of the game you're not going to be very geared up you're not going to have any magic you're going to have a revolver and that's that. So you'll go off onto the Scarlet Coast with the primary objective being the witch has a familiar. It's based at a precise location that doesn't change. And in this instance, it's the northern tip of the island. It's always going to be there. And you can now, while you're on the island, you hit the beach and you can start mowing down mobs of enemies uh, with each encounter, with each little mob of enemies that you eradicate you get a little bonus power-up as a little treat. 
It's called an Arcana and it always gives you a choice of two. So this is a kind of like common rogue light element that you would have seen from games like Hades and that, where you go into a room, you beat up the enemies in that room, and then it gives you one of two rewards to choose from. So that's fantastic. It does that here and it works really well because you can get items, uh, power-ups that effectively let you um, get bonuses on headshots, um, you know, um, there's another one that allows you to, when you die, you don't lose any of your Witchfire. So I'll quickly talk about that. So Witchfire is going to be the currency that you get from enemies and it builds up uh, like a, effectively an XP meter for you. So what you'll do after you've killed all, a bunch of enemies, you're probably not going to be strong enough to take on the Witch's Familiar. You're probably going to want to open up a portal, go back to the Herbatorium and invest that Witchfire that you've accrued because if you die while you're on an expedition, you drop your Witchfire just like you would in a Souls game. You can go back and retrieve it, but you've only got one chance to do so. If you die the second time around and you didn't retrieve that Witchfire, it's gone. So that's really neat. Uh, it gives me a little bit more satisfaction than I would in a game like Returnal because I know that my progress isn't necessarily lost. I can always go back and get it. And in every instance, I was able to go back and pick up where I'd left off. So that was really satisfying. What that means is you comfortably start to get that ramping up that you need in a good roguelite. That means uh, that as you're both familiarizing yourself with the level and enemies and things like that, your character is also getting permanently more powerful. Each time you go back and bank up those powers, you're banking them into things like HP, stamina, because this game has a stamina bar, which is quite unusual. Also things like witch fire drop rates and the like. Now the way that stamina works in this starts off very, very, uh, you start off with very little of it. You can dash about twice. What's going to happen is uh, the undead enemies, the husks and the swordsmen and stuff like that, when they spawn, they're going to move on you really fast. And some of them are going to spawn behind you as well. The game has a really good job, does a really good job of indicating to you at any point in time where enemies are around you, despite it being first person. So you might get a marker behind you. You know someone's about to shoot you in the back or there's a swordsman there. So you're able to dash out of the way. And particularly in boss fights, you're gonna really rely on that dash. But what it does mean is if you use up that stamina, all of a sudden your character is tired, the screen starts spinning out, you look like you're gonna black out. And if you're getting swamped, you can't sprint away. So there's always this tension that you wanna maintain a little bit of distance, but most of your guns are gonna be close range. So if you try shooting at a distance with your pistol, ain't gonna do shit. Quickly, I'm gonna mention pistol that you start with, absolute shit. If you play this game, first hour or so is gonna be really tough because you're gonna have this weapon that feels like a Nerf gun and you're gonna wonder where the fun is because you're gonna spend most of that first hour peeking from out behind fences, hoping for lucky headshots, just anything that you can take back to your portal and you know feel like you're actually investing and getting more powerful. Fortunately, after you've done about 100, 150 kills with that pistol, it takes becomes a like a second tier weapon, a third tier weapon, so like Destiny, Destiny 2, you can build up your weapons with use. They come with a significant power boost as well as special abilities that actually change gameplay. Really good example, there's a machine gun. Starts off really shit. Uh, once you've managed to luckily get you know 100 kills with it and it takes on its level two form, it now has a heat meter. So as you're shooting your machine gun and you can keep it in the middle of this meter, it's doing like critical hits. If you go too far and, hold, and use that machine gun too much, it gets hot. And those bullets, they the sound effect starts to dim out. It's doing barely any damage. When you get that machine gun to level three, when you're overheating those bullets, they actually light the enemies on fire. So there's this really awesome escalation of power that comes from the weapons and using them over and over again. They actually have like these actual gameplay additions that come with them. So that's really exciting. Uh, so in short, 
uh, one thing I really like about um, Witchfire is its atmosphere. The Vanishing from Ethan Carter team, they knew how to make environments. We saw that back then. The environments in this game, they're really detailed, really gothic. They're fantastic. You can double jump and dash around, which means there's a lot of verticality. If you can see like a mountain, a hill or a wall, you can probably double jump and you know scale it. And the game expects you to scale it in really interesting ways. There's very few linear paths. Uh, so the atmosphere is top notch. Um, but yeah, as I say, it's going to require perseverance from anyone that likes this kind of game, that likes Doom and Destiny and those kinds of games where you're just shooting up hordes and then hopefully making it out with which fire intact. The first hour is going to be really tough with the guns feeling like pea shooters. But once you can break through, the game ramps up terrifically, uh, becomes really cutthroat, white knuckled. And uh, I, was on, I was on the edge of my seat. I just wanted to keep coming back for more. Every time I died, I wanted to get straight back in because it was so seamless to do so. And it's a really, really well-crafted shooter. But since early days, you played a little bit of it. Zach, what did you think? Yeah, I probably played for, what, 30 minutes, 40, 45 minutes. Uh, really oh, liked so you're the in world. that rough thought, early period. Yeah, I thought the design was, like, like the the world d- design was really nice. I, I love that um, looks, atmosphere. Looks incredible. It does, it does. The, the gun, I feel you on, on the gun feeling a bit weak right away. I do like the little, um, uh, are they crosses on the bullets i think like, like you do the, you see the bullets in the yeah. chamber and if you yeah. get critical hits they can turn blue which means um or if you get headshots they'll turn blue which means they're going to stagger on your next shot which means they're going to have a little extra heft little details like that every weapon has little details like that uh and but uh, i mean it was such a small sample i probably wasn't even in in the right mood to kind of play it because i kind of got beasted a little bit I wasn't expecting those guards to like kind of rush me, but then I what? Then I got like a herd of noobs, and they basically just funneled down this hill like two or three at a time. I was just able to just, just to take them out. And then I got in the portal and I fucked back off. That was pretty much my um, my uh, time with it. The only thing is, I think it is one of the most bizarre and shittest tutorials I've ever seen. I think in, <laughs> I did mention that, yeah, in yep. a video game. So yeah, um, there you go. But no, I'm I'm keen to play more when I when I get a chance because. I really, really like the the idea and um, and the world. Yeah, this surprised me. I didn't have much enthusiasm for it. I thought Rogue Light, it was just going to be a bit generic, but it seems like these folks really understand how that genre works, just like the Returnal team did, and they've taken the best parts of that and iterated and improved on it. So it's really cool. Mm. The only other thing is that I do... I think I've said this over the course of this game's uh, journey, right, is that... It kind of started out being this single-player, story-driven uh, piece or project, sorry, and now it's turned to this. So I'm kind of, not, not knowing there's not much story to it, I'm kind of like, eh, sure. But yeah, there, there's none here to speak of. The, the world is designed in such a way that you kind of get a bit of that Dark Souls vibe about it where the, it's, it's kind of been lived in. You're seeing like the ruins of something that clearly lived here. But again, that's that's requiring you to exercise your imagination to fill in mm. those blanks, and that's not going to be everyone's cup of tea. Fair, right? Any uh, questions from you, you lot? Nah, don't give a fuck. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't listening. Oh, everything that I had, every question I had was answered in oh, the discussion. So yeah, what a wrap that is. Yeah, I'm, I'm keen to give it a crack. It sounds like something I might be potentially interested in. All right, I'm going to give you a very very quick little filler. Before we move into the into the big guns, uh, I reviewed a well. I played a game called Midnight Girl. Actually, I really need to check when this embargo is, but it's it's this week. But um, 
this is a little point and click game from a French studio, a two person studio called Italic, I think. And yeah, so this is a little, little 2D game set in France in 19 something. I really fucking forgot that. Um, and you play as a teenage, teenager, uh, thief called Monique, who is, uh, the story is that her father has left. He's gone to Chile to start making wine. Uh, and he insists that when he um, gets enough cash and when the you know when, when when all goes well he'll be he'll be able to send money to her because uh, her mother's passed away right so she's kind of on her own uh, yeah so the story is about Monique being a, a thief to steal stuff to try and fund a trip to Chile to go find her dad uh, yeah on on your first heist that you do you you actually get caught. Uh, and then you go to prison. In prison, you meet this famous thief uh, called the Night Owl. And then together, you you escape and you basically form, form a partnership to steal this uh, diamond called the Luxembourg Diamond, a very rich, um, uh, sorry, very rich, a, a very wealthy, worthy fucking stone. I can't even think of the words I'm trying to say. Valuable. Valuable is the word I'm after. Good job. Uh, I know words. Uh, yes, and then uh, so that they the scenes there's like twelve chapters and they play it in these little small, um, not dioramas is the wrong thing, but these real small levels, right? Where it's it's chap like nothing is connected to a previous chapter. You just in this small area, you play through this level. Puzzles are quite simple. You'll figure them out pretty straightforward. Like you like you you kind of get an idea of what you need to get to do that to unlock that to fix that to do this. So it's it's you you move at quite a good pace. Once or twice, like I kind of got stuck for five or ten minutes, but it was always pretty simple because um, there wasn't much to kind of interact with in in the world. Uh, but yeah, had, had fun. Nice little story, maybe four to five hours it took me to um, to beat this game. Uh, thought thought the art style was was quite nice. The there's no voice acting at all, which is a little bit. Mm, I'm not too sure how how I feel about that. Uh, but yeah, um, stories yeah stories nice, and I had a good time. I probably would. I probably am going to give it a seven point five, off the top of my head. The only thing I didn't like is uh, the the voice acting was a little bit of a downer, um, because it just was. I don't know it's like a cool little setting, and just to, just to have no kind of, just to have words on a screen kind of took took a little bit away from like the immersion. Do you, do you find it generally hard to get immersed in a game if there's no voice acting? Uh, when the writing is, I know, I know this is, and the writing wasn't bad, right? But it was mm-hmm. fine. You know, it, 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 you know, a lot of times I was like skim reading, so I'd be like pushing yeah. forward, yeah. Um, just because there was no like interactivity in that it was just here it is mm-hmm. yeah um but um yeah. yeah so i mean i had a good time and 7.5 and i just want to say it is set in 1965 so in, and it's kind of a take on like uh heist films of the 60s and belgian comic books so it's yeah that's it's, cool it's quite neat hmm hmm vibes there you go. Yeah. Vibes indeed. All right, Jordan. Hit the wheels. Uh, all right. That's a, that's a good segue, I guess. 
So I've I've spent about the last week or so playing uh, the new Forza Motorsport. Um, it's uh, to summarize it very quickly. It's very good if you want a racer. If you don't want a racer, don't play it. Um, but so this the the whole pitch for this was, uh, it's like a new era almost for Forza Motorsport. So, uh, two and ten have spent a lot of time with the I think it's like Forza Tech or something is the name of the engine. Um, they, they spent a lot of time tinkering in that, making sure that like all like the, the physics and the damage calculation and stuff like that for your vehicles are just as tight as possible. And it has paid off. This is a phenomenal racer. Uh, I don't know really how to compare it to GT7, which is PlayStation's racer offering because I didn't play it. Um, but compared to the Horizon games, which I've played all of, and the last motorsport game I played was like two. Um, I noticed the the difference in vehicle handling from the Horizon games to motorsport. Like every little decision I made when I was tinkering with the vehicle, I could feel when I put it on the track, as opposed to Horizon, where in Horizon it's just number go up. Um, so yeah, uh, it's um, it's both a really rigid, uh, focused experience, which is what makes it not the best for everyone. You know, once again, if you don't want a racer. It's not for you. Uh, go go to Horizon if you want something more arcadey. But if you're someone that wants that more like focused experience of of a sim style racer, like this game is just excellent from the way that the the vehicles handle to the, just the sound design, the way that like audio bounces off the environment. Uh, like there was a highlight where I went down uh, underneath uh, an overpass, and so the echo was so intense that for like about half a second. Like, my engine was all that I could hear. Over the music I had playing when I was playing the game, like, all I could hear was just the engine, and it was just insane. Um, they have some really cool little micro-systems with the, the upgrades and tunings, um, but what I found really impressive was their progression path. So the Horizon games have a pretty pretty simple progression path, and they can't really adopt that in, in a motorsport game. So what they've done is um, you have leveling for each individual car which sounds like a chore but what it really does is it basically allows you to expand your options for upgrades and tuning which is just really cool because it adds a certain level of choice and agency in selecting what cars you use just because you know you have to go well i have to invest in this otherwise if i do another one i have to go all the way down to, to the beginning which i get for some people would be you know a bit of a, a sore point it isn't for me just because i like when choices matter and like you know there's actual weight to what to what i'm doing um but the really cool thing is you just use the car to level it up you know do races you know smash into other cars if you really want so you won't get as much but you'll technically overtake so go for your life um but what was really cool is the way they handle the upgrade system so if you played horizon the upgrade system is just you need credits to buy this part in motorsport you're basically given uh, an encompassing resource for each car called CP. I think it's car points. I forgot and I could never find it again. <laughs> um, but let, let's just go with car points because that just makes the most sense. Um, you're basically just given uh, a range of how many car points you have. The higher level your car is, the bigger the range is. Uh, and like no upgrade that you use is permanent. So 
you can go like balls to the wall on turbo and then decide you want to scale it back a bit and it'll refund the the difference in what you scale back to so then you can reallocate those points into other upgrades so you can like you know really min max your cars which is really cool but the other thing i really appreciated is there's an auto upgrade feature so if you're someone stupid like me that understands nothing about cars press a button game goes okay number go up you're good to go and i was like oh thank you um but the, the thing I also appreciated about that is because it facilitated that to me, it made me want to learn some of it as well. So I, I found myself engaging with those subsystems a lot more. Uh, and then even tinkering with stuff like the fuel tank. So uh, like when you set out for a race, you can set how much fuel is in your tank and that'll determine how many pit stops you have to do in a race, depending on how long it is. The, the more uh, full the tank is, the heavier the car is, so the slower you actually are. So you want to kind of want to find that balance. If you don't use the actual fuel system in your race, you can turn it all the way down to 5%, which is the minimum. And that'll just make you go as fast as possible, um, which I found a bit quirky, but you know, whatever. Let let people that don't want to engage with stupidly precise systems like that have their fun. Um, but yeah, very, very impressive, like super nitty gritty, but also just very approachable for... People like me that just think cars are things that go wrong and go forward. Um, sound design is excellent. Hitting other cars is awesome. It's just like super bassy and like punchy. And that's just what not what I was expecting because in the Horizon games, it's quite like in the, high, in the higher frequencies, they're kind of tinny. Whereas in this, it's like, it feels like a car just punched another car, which is just really cool. And the the visuals are insane. Like... If you go into photo mode during rain, you'll see actual beads forming on your car. Or like beads of water, which is really sick. And then I had everything cranked with the new computer. So I had all the ray tracing going. And in the rain, all the little puddles of water having like super sharp and crisp reflections. Or in the nighttime where it's like almost pitch black. You need to be paying attention to what's in front of you. It's super sick. And then something I forgot to mention in the actual written review is before you do each race, um, you're given the opportunity to do a practice race, which seems a bit weird at first, but when you realize that with some of the environments, it can be hard to actually see what's coming up ahead, having that familiarity from the practice race is just very nice. So overall, fantastic game. Looks great, sounds great, runs great. Uh, and yeah, if you want a, a sim-style racer, like this is just a phenomenal experience. The only weird things I had, uh, I hate the fact that to, even in the single-player stuff, you need to be connected to the internet. Uh, Turn 10 have claimed it's for like secure and safe experiences, but I'm just like, it's anti-piracy. You know, just admit it. Um, and then the other thing is, only because I run multi-monitor, uh, for some weird reason, like the edge of the border of the window for the game will just leak into my other screen on the inner edge. And I don't know why that is, even when I'm just running full screen, they're in actual windowed mode. So, but, you know, what can you do? I hope they fix that. Uh, aside from that, yeah, very good game. Uh, I'm settling on about an 8.5 or a 9. Uh, yeah, solid, solid title. Nice. Very cool. Would you say, because you reviewed, what's the last one that you did? Horizon 5. As a... As a game, do you think the mm -hmm. motorsport games are better than the Horizon games, or like? And it's hard. It's hard to really compare. But um, in turn, in if terms you had to recommend of... one game, 
of those two games. I would probably recommend Horizon just because it's more approachable in its arcadey okay. nature. Unless the person I'm recommending it to is someone that likes sim-style races. Someone that doesn't like to have fun, yeah. Fair. <laughs> cool. Nice. So we'll look, look forward to the review, which will be, well, be out now like all these reviews, we hope. Whew. Speaking of reviews, wow, they just keep on coming. And what does keep on coming? Fucking Assassin's Creed games. We got a new one. We got Mirage, <laughs> baby. We got... Big James Wood on the Mirage. He's in the hot seat, the driver's seat, with his. Ooh, we're still doing driving analogies. Yeah, I got nothing for you. Yeah, right, crash that one. Bag daddy. Ooh, he came back. Bag daddy. Okay. Oh, just took a leap of faith. Actually, before you go, I have a quick question. Okay. Council, I need the council here. So I had Lies of P as my. Game I wanted to that I locked into from why plenty yeah good question well because I really I like um you like Pinocchio that much mate oh, I like little boys with big noses mate like what can I say like I don't I, don't. <laughs> I bet uh, no so I'm you know I'm every every now and again I don't mind to test myself but uh, too hard so I want to swap it up to Mirage which I was going to review I've only played an hour now this is probably what, like 15 20 hour game whatever it, mm-hmm. might, it might be james will tell us which is probably like a 50 hour game for me so <laughs> are we in a grant what do you reckon yes. james yeah i lies of p yeah. is really hard you should not play that game um, mm-hmm. yeah yeah i'm insulted no, i'm not insulted i am thankful no it's it's truthful yeah <laughs> that's all right that's fine i mean i struggled with the first enemy so yeah well, just yeah. don't have the Time to learn. Anyway, thank you for mm-hmm. approving my my pledge change. I'm using my wild card. Carry on with your Mirage review. <laughs> Love it. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah. So Assassin's Creed Mirage is Ubisoft Bordeaux's uh, very explicit attempt at courting fan desires, uh, which is always a very fraught thing to do with franchise media. Like it can usually go one of two ways. Usually, always turns to shit. Um, Assassin's Creed Mirage though is pretty good. They they kind of did it. Um, the the idea that this is this exists to to recapture the feeling and the memory of uh, sort of Assassin's Creed Two that that initial push from the franchise before it turned into the open world action RPG fifty plus hour experience. So like Zach said, this is a anywhere between 15 to 20 hours for the main plot. Um, and then there's some additional side content that you can do as well. You could probably bolster it up to maybe around 30 if you, if you really wanted to see everything. Um, so, you know, it's still a decent sized game, like not small by any stretch of the imagination, just small in comparison to where Assassin's Creed has ended up. Um, you play as uh, Basim, who was an antagonist in Valhalla's DLC, I believe. Uh, but this is his coming of age story in the streets of Baghdad. Um, the, the recreation they've done of Baghdad here has been, uh, toted as sort of like a pretty major point for the studio that they've done a lot of, um, detailed historical work, uh, sort of dealing with historians and yada, yada to try to capture an authentic sort of Middle Eastern experience here. Um, and I think, you know, headline that they've done that very, very well. This isn't the, the Middle East that we're used to seeing in popular media. This isn't like the yellow filter, you know, dusty streets. Uh, and none, none of that is going on here. It's, it's a vibrant, 
lush world. Um, it is very dense. This is the first like major city environment I think they've done since um, the one that was in Paris. Um, so it's it's been quite a while since uh, Assassin's Creed has set you loose in a an actual city city. Um, there are still surrounding marshlands and whatnot that you can explore as well, but that's sort of a, additional stuff. Um, the, the plot sort of revolves around, uh, Basim joining, uh, what at this point in the timeline is the hidden ones who they go on to become, uh, the, the, the brotherhood, I think it is right. That's, that's what the Assassin's Creed is. Um, so this is, but this is before that though. And so because of that, you've also got a group of antagonists who are, very slowly coming to terms with the the more uh, fantastical sci-fi elements of the Assassin's Creed world. They're finding the the artifacts. There's you know hidden uh, messages around the world about like a, a precursor race that was super advanced. Like all the stuff that would go on to become sort of like a bit of a chain around the neck of this franchise. Here is just a bit of a, a budding idea. Um, and so through that, you get a, a semi decent story. I think the coming of age stuff is a little bit more of a marketing point than what's actually in the game, I would say. I, I think that broadly Basson starts as a pretty well-rounded version of himself. Um, he, he sort of, he goes through an arc and he, he descends in some ways and grows in other ways and whatnot. But like, you know, this is a, a man who like your first experience with him in this game when he's running around with some like, I don't know, I guess like early twenties or whatnot, but he's already, you know, spouting full sentences about like the injustices of society and how it all needs to be corrected and whatnot. So it's like, this is a, a dude who's already pretty fully formed. There's no real, uh, like he has some fuckboy energy like Ezio does. Like there is a little bit of that in there, but it is not a, a huge amount. This is still a pretty self-serious game for the most part. Um, and Basim is a, a fine protagonist to take you through. The rest of the cast is... Likewise, pretty okay. Um, I think that the the ideas behind the writing are sometimes better than the actual writing itself. This game gets a little exposition-y at times, which is, I mean, it's Assassin's Creed. I think that's bound to happen. Um, and on top of that, you also get a couple of instances where you'll get the implication of what's happening in a scene and then somebody will say it out loud at the same time. Um, and it's just, I think it just speaks to like a little bit of mistrust. I think that certain AAA narratives have in, in audiences. Right. Um, but it's all acted very, very well. Uh, Rashan is his like Jedi, uh, master kind of like mentor figure that he's got in his life. Um, she is played by an actress whose name I can never ever pronounce, but she's in a bunch of different things. Uh, Shrosha, uh, um, yes, I'm not going to try that, but she's in the expanse. You, you know, oh, her right. voice. Gotcha. If it, yep. like it's that very distinct Persian gravelly woman voice. Like she is a, a stunning genre worker and she really shows up for work here. Really enjoyed her stuff in this. Um, gameplay wise, this is a stripped back Assassin's Creed. So we're, you know, going back to stealthing, we're going back to black box missions. Um, there are no more like sort of leveling up, no more numbers over enemies. All that RPG stuff has been very drastically stripped back. Instead, you've got, I think it's up to six different tools. So throwing knives, blow dart, sound maker, smoke bomb, very stealth based um, tools is pretty much all you've got. There is a bit of combat that the game occasionally forces you into more often than I thought it would, given that the whole premise here is a stealth-based experience. And that combat isn't great. It's fine. It's serviceable, but it's clearly not what you're meant to be doing. And so it's odd when the game makes you do it in certain story instances, but they're pretty few and far between. It's not a huge deal. Um, the stealth stuff mostly works really well. Parkour is as fun as it's, I guess it's ever been. Still a little bit clunky, but 
they've, they've done some work to make the animations feel a little bit more smooth and fluid. And I think once you get a feel for the momentum of moving Basson through these spaces, um, it's, it's relatively enjoyable. It's, it's a very good Assassin's Creed um, by way of the way Assassin's Creed's used to be very good. Like th this is the kind of game that, you know, we used to get like once a year, once every two years out of Ubisoft and they would be, they don't have to be the forever game. There's no DLC planned for this thing. This is just a, a standalone story. You get in, you get out, you play your game 15 to 20 hours, right? And I think in that regard, it's a really big success for the studio. I think that they've mostly pulled off the vision they wanted to do here. There's some occasionally new ideas thrown in there. That's a kind of a non-linear story. So the beginning and the end are quite linear, but in the middle of the game, you get an investigation board and it effectively is like, you've got four different key assassinations you have to do before you can take out the big leader of this cult. Um, and so you just pick which one you want to go to and you bada bing, bada boom. I, I think there was a, a version of that in, um, uh, the, the Greek one, I, I can never remember the name of it. Odyssey. Yeah. Odyssey. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, but you know, it, it's nice to see here in a smaller world. Uh, I think it works for the most part. Um, my only real kind of like hesitation in being like, as like over the moon for it is that like, it is an Assassin's Creed game by way of Assassin's Creed 10 years ago. Um, and I think that, you know, in, in giving those fans exactly what they want, they have made a very good version of that thing. But I think it's so often caught up in what Assassin's Creed used to be that it forgets what Assassin's Creed could become. And there are times when you get a little bit of like almost Hitman-esque kind of like planning uh, an assassination going on. You know, usually these assassinations have like a bunch of different like things you can investigate for like secret paths, you know, uh, particular I don't know, food you could find. To, I don't think you could poison it necessarily, but like there are just little things littered throughout these black box missions that if you choose to find them, you can use them as a way of like getting closer to the target or whatever. Um, and that stuff is is there and it's fine, but it's also not developed, I think, as much as it could be. And I think that if you gave Ubisoft Bordeaux, who I think have a generally good eye for what they're doing here, a bit more time, a bit more money and a bit more scope, like you could develop beyond sort of what has come before it for Assassin's Creed. And I think that in, in being so focused on what it used to be, it just misses out a little bit on, on a lot of the potential that's actually baked into this game. Um, but still like, it's good. It, it's really good. I had a good time with it. I'm considering getting the trophies for it. Like it's that kind of just easy, turn your brain off, have a good time Assassin's Creed, which we have not had for a long time. Like I loved Origins, but that was the beginning of a very big turn for this franchise that, you know, I think has hit a lot of people in a, in a really big way. It's become a lot of people's, that's the game they'll play this year because they can play it all year long. Um, but it is nice to see the franchise get back to, I think, what made it so successful in the first place. What do you think of the combat? Uh, fine. It's, it's fine. I, I would avoid it, obviously, wherever I could because I didn't love it. Uh, the parry is very generous, which is nice. Mm. And if you could consistently parry people, you can consistently kill them. And so if you do get sort of boxed into a corner, you can take them out, go back into stealth after that, right? Um, but there is a lot of sort of animation collision going on. Uh, a lot of enemy attacks get overlaid if, they, if there are too many of them in one space. Um, there can also be some screen tearing going on with that as well. It doesn't feel like it was built for active combat, um, which is not, not ideal, obviously. Um, one thing I do want to just quickly mention, I know that Nathan will probably enjoy this, but uh, I was playing with, with Anna last night and we've only just completed the tutorial of the combat. So we've only just got back to Baghdad right. in terms of the story. Mm -hmm. So that's how far away. We're not even... Yeah, very know, literally got the title screen. Mm -hmm. um, but her her main comment from playing the game so far, it was basically, why the fuck is Dodge Square? 
And I was yes. like, <laughs> yeah. I, didn't, I didn't say anything. Like I didn't even mention mm. it. I just wanted to see if she would bring it up. And she goes, mm-hmm. she goes, Dodgers always circle. Uh, and yeah, so yeah, it's weird. That, that's some uh, pretty impressive secondhand games literacy, isn't it? <laughs> He's been teaching her for a while. It's victory. Yeah. Um, uh, you can, you can, and well, I, I, I swapped okay. it immediately. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. I um, didn't, it, didn't, didn't yeah, know. no, it, it was because I remember you and I had a conversation about it, and then I got into the game, and it just it doesn't feel right at all. It does mean that you then have to use square to drop down from ledges because that becomes your sort of that's disengage right. from parkour button and that's that took me a second to wrap my head around other than that yeah the only other thing yeah so just on the um the being old kind of thing mm. do you think the parkour could, could be improved yes yeah yes. absolutely yeah. I, I yeah. think that um one of the big things that's to my mind holding back assassin's creed i think from feeling like a truly like it's it's starting to make i think the leaps it should be making at this point um is that that uh what is it the ubisoft um I forget the name of the Ubisoft Anvil engine um, is a little clunky for, for a lot of things. I think that it's a sort of a, a jack of all trades, master of none kind of engine is the vibe I get from it. Um, in that, you know, like this game looks really, really good and it runs for the most part really, really well. Um, but, you know, little things like those animations when you're trying to like specifically get around a certain nook to climb up something are a little bit clunky. Uh, I think the narrative is actively held back by the fact that cutscenes are all done in engine. And so it's that very shot reverse shot Assassin's Creed conversation style. Um, and for a studio that has talked a lot about what they wanted to do with the narrative here, I'd love to see what they could have done with a bit more cinematic language going on. Um, but you know, again, these are, these are sort of series wide problems. They're not mirage problems necessarily. I will say I would suggest that's probably not an engine issue because engines don't necessarily have anything to do with that. Mm. That would probably just do a, a time or a budget issue because right. engines are just incredibly flexible. Things the most an engine does is it determines the kind of development environment in the back end right. uh, that is used for the game. Because if you look at something like Unity, as much of a laughing stock as it is now, <laughs> it goes from something like Stardew Valley to the aforementioned GTFO. Like yeah. they can do uh, a wide variety of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's just how the developers themselves are able to use it and what constraints they are given in the pipeline for it. Yeah, I mean, that, that's that's very reasonable and, and probably quite fair to them. Like, I think that the scope of this has been good for Ubisoft. Like, I, they don't need to, you know, break their developers to make massive games. I'd, I'd much rather we get slightly cheaper but smaller versions of, of the Assassin's Creed franchise moving forward. Um, but, yeah, it's just, you know, it's, it's showing its age a little bit. It, it it feels a little clunky at times. Yeah. Cool. Uh, you got a score in mind there, big boy? Uh, I reckon I reckon an 8.5. Outriders, hey? <laughs> nice. Mmm. Taste. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's 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 good. Like I I I I want more from it because I want more from this franchise, but I think that you know, people who wanted this kind of experience back are going to get exactly what they want out of this, and that is exciting for them. So just a, you... a quick question. So a little while ago, they showed off like this kind of like chain execution thing, which oh, a lot of people yeah. that were pining for this were not very happy about because it just didn't feel like the spirit of yeah. Assassin's Creed, which I understood because it's the exact same thing that they would spin itself blacklist where they had mm-hmm. a chain execution thing. And it's like, well, this just feels like an action game now. Yes. Not like a stealth oriented game. Um, mm-hmm. Did you engage with that system at all? And if you did, how did it feel? I did. It took me, it was about halfway through the campaign though, until I started using it because I wanted to just be like, oh, I'm just going to sneak around and be an assassin. But 
once I did start using it, I became quite addicted to it because like it looks really cool. It's super fun to use. Um, and it is a really good get out of jail free card, basically. Um, you know, there, there was one instance where there was like this massive wall that I couldn't climb, but I could just clip the guard on top of it with my remote, <laughs> like mark and execute. And so I marked him, executed him and it glitched me up there. And then I was up the wall. I was like, yeah, sick, sweet. <laughs> creative use of game mechanics. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like, it let me do that. You know, it, it didn't stop me or anything. And so like, I, I do think that's a, a fun mechanic. Um, and I think that it's the only one in there that feels strikingly action to me though. Like everything else is very, very stealthy. So Adam, Adam, where, where do they go from here is my, my question. So they've, they've done the, I, the, the RPG style of things that's gotten ridiculous. Mm. Yeah. And now they're like, okay, we want to go back to, you know, how, people remember Assassin's Creed being, Mm -hmm. but I worry that that kind of, it's a, it pegs them into doing the the old style a bit too much. Like where, how do you, how do you bring new elements into an old style without pissing Mm -hmm. off the people who you're there to placate to? Well, th- this is the problem, right? This is the, this is the issue with like doing things for fan expectations uh, is that, you know, once you start feeding that particular beast, it doesn't get satiated. It only grows more hungry, right? Yeah. Um, and, and so uh, they are going to paint themselves into a bit of a corner here where if you just have Ubisoft Bordeaux doing the quote unquote, the classic experiences while the action RPGs continue to grow bigger and bigger, like uh, what is it Project Red, the the one set in Japan that's coming up next. Yeah. You know, I can only imagine that's going to be a hundred hours. Do you know what I mean? It, it it's, yeah. I don't think they've necessarily addressed any of the kind of like the core, not rot, but like the, the stagnation, I think, at the heart of Assassin's Creed. Um, yeah. It isn't quite addressed here in, in this concept, but I think this puts them on a better path because there are elements of the open world action stuff in this game, but they've been more smartly utilized, right? That kind of non-linearity yeah. in terms of going after your assassins, your different approaches throughout the world. Like it's... There's a there's a little bit of integration there. Um, I, I just want to see like a full smash together, you know. Yeah, I feel you. Cool, very nice. Now, before we wrap up very quickly on Assassin's Creed, both James and I got to speak with the game's narrative director, Sarah Bulu. Yeah, yes. French last name. Old mate. Um. So yeah, there's interviews up on the website now on uh, ours uh, on, yeah, on well played and press start. If you want to check that out as well. All right. Big bad butterfly. Spread your wings and fly. That's me wrong bug, but I'll, I'll just, I'll roll with that. Eh? Uh, yes. I've been playing cocoon, which is the, I think the debut title from geometric interactive, but it's the, the new game from designer Yep Carlson who did inside and also did limbo. So he's, he's very well known in the space, very highly regarded because both of those kind of story platformers are lauded for being design wise, pretty spot on. Um, and very, I suppose thought invoking as well. So very lofty, lofty goals to see if he can, and can match that. Um, and I think he's probably exceeded it because Cocoon is absolutely fantastic. Um, it's, it's a masterclass in game design from, from my perspective. Um, so both of those games are 
very simple mechanically. You walk along a 2D plane, press X to jump. That's about it. I was expecting there to be a little bit more heft in the mechanics department with Cocoon. Not so. It is a two-button game. You use the thumbstick to move around and you use X to interact. That is it. To say that it's simple, though, would be a massive, massive understatement because the, the actual puzzling is exceptionally clever. So the the kind of the idea is you walk around these beautiful environments and you interact with things by putting them on your back. You're a little, um, from what I could tell, you're like a little alien cicada, like a little beetle guy with wings and you pop something on your back. You can ferry that around, pop it onto pedestals to kind of drop down bridges or open doors and things like that. All, all very basic so far until you come across this little white glowing platform where you step onto it, you interact and you're whisked out of the world and into a completely new world with its own color palette and design. And you're left looking at this orb, which encompasses the entire world that you were just playing within. You then pick up that orb, put it on your back, and then you use that as the key or power source to complete puzzles in this new world, which eventually you will get whisked out of. And it's, it's orbception. It's orbs within orbs, worlds within worlds, power source within power source. And it waterfalls down and you use these different power sources to complete puzzles within and without. It's exceptionally, exceptionally clever. And it kind of melts your brain, but is reasonably easy at the same time. So the puzzles never feel frustrating. They always, they'll make you stop and think for a moment, but the way they're designed, the solution will come to you naturally. You're not, it's not trial and error. Like for instance, late in the game, there's a particular puzzle that you need something from the orange world. So there's a very slight hint of orange color within the the purple orb, for instance, that kind of makes you think, ah, maybe I need to go into the orange orb to, to kind of figure this out. And that will have a cause and effect in the purple world. So it's, you have to stop, think, look at your environment, but the solution will come to you. But it always gives you that satisfying, like that, you know, in portal where you kind of, you finally, the pieces kind of come together and you shoot the portal exactly where you need it to, to go. Everything just kind of clicks. It's like that over and over and over again for almost every puzzle in the game. It is absolutely fantastic. Um, as far as the the excellence in game design is concerned, I never felt like I was lost. Like the game very gracefully guides you from point to point with visual and audio cues. Um, for instance, I got, I thought I was getting stuck until I picked up one of the different colored orbs. And then I was given this, this lovely little chime that kind of let me know that I was heading in the right direction. So I continued on with that train of thought. Lo and behold, that's what happened. I had completed the puzzle. Um, so yeah, going through each of these different colored worlds at the end will be a boss encounter, which kind of adds in a light, very, very light sprinkling of combat. So each of them have their own patterns, like attack patterns that you need to be wary of and learn. Um, and each of them will have a different, uh, 
mechanic that you need to use. So one, there's a little bug that's crawling around in the ground. You need to slam the ground to unearth it, and then you can pick it up, walk over to the boss and explode. That deals one bit of damage. It's the classic do it three times and they're dead. The boss design is brilliant. They're very visually appealing. Um, and all of the different little gimmicks, I suppose, that they have are different enough that makes them feel unique. Once you have defeated that boss or that guardian, that orb will gain a power. So, for instance, the orange orb gives you a, a little kind of field around your character that will uh, make invisible, uh, otherwise invisible platforms visible and you'll be allowed to step onto them. So that uncovers new paths within the world to, to complete puzzles. Uh, the green one, for instance, there's these big jets of water that can turn solid. So you can use them to ascend like an elevator. So it adds a complete new element to the puzzling. So the, the orange orb that you'll need to uncover this hidden platform might be stuck within the green. You'll need to go into the green world, grab the orange, take it out of the green, then go out again into the purple, all in um, in terms just to just to complete one little puzzle. And it gets far more complicated, and I don't really want to spoil anything, but it's absolutely brilliant. I could, I could babble on forever about how much I love this game. Um, visually, I think it's fantastic as well. It uses a lot of very bold lines. Um, not unlike Inside and Limbo, it's very, very colorful. Each of the different worlds has its own color palette. So you've got like an, an orange desert, a green, like a marshy world, and they're all very bold, very distinct, and they match the color of the orb. So you always know where you are and within what orb you are, so you never get confused. Um, the... The music is gorgeous as well. It has this real um, kind of otherworldly feel to it. And it changes again, depending on which world you're in, which is great. Um, the one downside that I had to it is I didn't know what the fuck was going on. It dealt with a lot of like cosmic ideas of creation, but it's very, very loose. Unlike Inside and Limbo, where they were, it was left to interpretation to some degree but it made you feel something. I thought it was very visually interesting, but I had no fucking clue what was happening. So I think that was a little bit lost in this, but otherwise it is an absolute home run. Loved it to pieces. Cool. And um, it's on Game Pass, if you're wondering. Yeah. if if It takes like maybe four uh, hours-ish. <laughs> so you should absolutely knock it over in an afternoon okay. if you're you have game pass if if somebody found the um sort of obscure roughness of limbo and inside a bit off-putting do you think cocoon does a better job of being a a smoother experience then yeah absolutely it okay. it doesn't it doesn't hold your hand at all like it there's no prompts or tutorials or anything like that you literally just plopped into the world and you just kind of figure it out Mm -hmm. um, but luckily it's smart enough with its two button control scheme that yeah. you, you, you're never going to be feel lost and you kind mm -hmm. of, you understand the mechanics nice and quickly. Um, I can see the story element obviously being a little off putting because there's not really anything to grasp onto, but mechanically 
I yeah, I find that it would probably be a little bit more inviting than Limbo or Inside. Absolutely. Sweet. Yeah, you've you've totally sold me. I am very excited. It's phenomenal. It's my f- favorite puzzle game in recent memory. Hmm. Very nice. All right, cool. We can check out the uh, the review on the website as well. Very good. Adam, now let's smash through the news because there's some juicy stuff here to talk about. James. Yes. Let's go. Let's fucking let's go. Do it. Let's let's go. Let's um not a not a great week for uh for headlines, mm. uh, I'll be honest. Um well, okay, we'll start with the shit and then we'll work our way down to the good. Um Obviously, the biggest one, Epic Games lays off 800 workers. This is about 16% of its staff. Um, it seems to have mostly hit Mediatonic, which are the, the team behind Fall Guys. Um, this is It's been cited as like sort of ongoing operational costs around the company. Specifically, Fortnite's ongoing operational cost, I think, was brought up by uh, the, the statement. But, um, you know, Fortnite is obviously the biggest game out there, one of the biggest games out there, right? And it's one of those things where... If this company of all companies can't keep its workers, then like, what are we doing uh, with with this kind of industry? Um, this is, yeah, obviously shit news and kind of kicks off uh, a full week of of layoff news and cancellations. Um, does anyone have anything to say on Epic or? Uh, yeah, shit deal. They also sold off um, mm. sound, not SoundCloud, Bandcamp. Bandcamp, Bandcamp yeah. yeah, I saw that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to, bought it, to an Australian it, sold company. It. <laughs> Song trade. Oh, that means it's going to run into the ground. Song trade, I think it's called. Yeah. I mean, I mean did they bank- just did they just take like what they needed from, well, needed or wanted from Bandcamp, and then just kind of well, so the, the agreement the with Bandcamp bin? was uh, it allows so they still have the agreement with Bandcamp, so they can use uh, anything within Bandcamp in Unreal Engine projects, and right, the okay. the the money generated from that goes to the artist still. Right. I mean, that's good, I suppose. But yeah, it very much felt like a buy to, because you have one specific thing that we need. Anyway, thanks for that buy. Yeah. It, just just a very, very yeah. uh, random question. Does anyone here use Bandcamp? I know Jordan probably does. Yeah. So do I. Yeah. I have no, previously, I do but I don't on the regular. Yeah. See, I hate the I hate the app, but what I do is I oh, buy the music shit. that I want to listen to, and then I just listen to it on Spotify. Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah, I can see the the benefit of that actually. Mm. Uh, I think the epic thing is I don't know, like I don't know a lot about Tim Sweeney, but mm. as far as statements go, that I thought that was a relatively okay one. Um, he's he's a bit of a weird one. Yeah, but he's not like I don't I don't get like Bobby Kotick vibes. Like you know what I mean? No. Like I feel no, I, 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 when I read that statement, I felt like he was genuinely upset that it had it had come to he, this point, right? And he doesn't feel like a heartless guy in a suit. Yeah. No, like I, I feel like they have obviously because I think in his the wording he used was that they basically were spending too much. They were spending yeah. more than mm-hmm. more than they could earn, and eventually at some point they thought that they could just get through it and. Ho- you know, and hope that it would turn, but it's not turned. Um, I, th- I think it kind of serves as a cautionary tale of the dangers of a game just like blowing up and the developer trying to keep up with the popularity. Yeah, agreed uh, with me. If you look at something, I've, I've, is it Inner Sloth that does Among Us? Yeah. 
so they, they kind of like kept to their own pace rather than trying to cater oh, yeah, to the popularity and so they've stayed like afloat the entire time mm-hmm. whereas because fortnite's always trying to be on top and always trying to like be in the news headlines like they obviously they're just spending exorbitant amount of money mm-hmm. has anyone here played four guys Yes, not for yeah. when it first launched. Yeah, yeah. for a long time. Yeah. Same. Yeah, kind of. Um, was that was pandemic, right? Like, yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah we were all fucked up back then. Yeah, mm. yeah. Do, is that still a thing? Like, is it like do people still play Fall Guys, or is it? Completely yeah, yeah, dead? people still play it. I mean, well, <laughs> mm. Mm. concerning. Yeah, but um, but it's sad. Yes, a good yes. game. Yeah. No, it, it, it's shit. Uh, this actually has just come up while we've been recording as well. Uh, developer Dang, the people behind Boomerang X, are closing uh, down as well. Um, is that the Australian devs? I uh, don't think Boomerang so. Egg? I don't think they're Australian. No, Bo- Boomerang X was the the game. It was that kind of, you had that cool X-looking boomerang that you threw around uh, 3D environments. Um, yeah, really. They're not getting sued by Elon Musk, are they? Shut up, Jordan. <laughs> um, yeah, so that, that sucks as well. They've cited uh, being able to find funding for the next game, which seems to be... Funding is, is obviously, I think, where a lot of these problems are coming from at this point. Um, Sega has also cancelled Hyenas, which was Creative Assembly's extraction shooter, which has been in development for a hot minute now. Um, now, this has been canned, I think, before it even got a chance to properly go wide. Obviously, didn't get released. Uh, I've heard... People who did get hands-on were quite high on it. Apparently, it was a, a pretty okay one of these for the few people that did get to play it at media events. Um, but that hasn't stopped Sega from uh, shitting it and also cancelling a bunch of other unannounced titles as well. This is also Creative Assembly announced a, a restructure, which will include some layoffs as well. So it just keeps flowing this week. This two things on this one like i'm surprised i haven't just gone fuck it this is whatever it is let's just put it out free to play chuck some mm. fucking some skins in it recoup some costs recoup some costs and you yeah. know it's out there right um rather than just that's a they must there must be a thing maybe actually this would be quite interesting like we you know when uh what, what's the word like studios like disney or whatever cancel shows but mm-hmm. they can use it as like tax write off yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I wonder if I this thinking. is. I wonder if this is the same for games. I don't know if I've ever yeah. heard that. Um, maybe that's why they don't put it out right. Uh, but the second mm-hmm. thing is, I think, um, and I, yeah, I have no idea what this game plays like. So purely just, but just another nail in the live service mm. trend a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel it's keep getting yeah. harder and harder for those games to make a statement or make a yeah. you know make a. It's, it's I think just, it, Adam, you go, sorry. I was just going to say, I think it's like when you flood that particular market, it becomes very difficult to not only stand out, but have any sort of longevity. Like when games as a service kind of first dropped and there, you know, there were only a couple of them with the, the evergreen style content. It's easy enough to jump on that and, and stay on it because there's not many of them about, but the ridiculous amount of them that there are now they're used more of like a, a kind of like a weekend game. Like, and I'm mm-hmm. completely guilty of it. I'll jump in, play it with a mate for, I don't know, a week and then drop it and play something else. Like they're, they just don't have the, they don't have the player retention that they used to. And 
it's yeah i don't know i'd i'd love to see us move slowly or very quickly away from them but yeah, yeah. it's not going to we'll see i guess it's it's yeah. it's a lose lose cuz for like for a live service game to succeed it has to focus on retention and systems that are designed around retention just never feel good and mm. in at risk put the game at risk of doing the opposite like destiny is a game that is focused a lot on retention now and mm. it just feels awful to jump in at some point just because it feels like all they're doing is pumping things out to take it out again because they want you to feel like you're missing out so you go in and you stick around and you just put up with the shit it also must be hell as well because i know like i've done fucking countless apex preview events now and so often in those when it comes to q a it's when are you going to fix this when are you going to fix that but then just as many questions come in about we're seeing a lack of content when can we expect a new legend when can we expect a new weapon like you it mm-hmm. must just be so a difficult to develop for but b it must just be soul crushing because you oh, put all the work into either fixing the holes or creating new content to bring new eyes in. So you have the ability and like, you still have your job to fix the holes. Like, yeah, there's so no worse problem. Like, and that, yeah. that's the, the sort of the fundamental flaw with the live service issue is that like nobody, not the people that make it or the people that play it can possibly keep these machines going. It's just too much. Nah. Unless you are the biggest thing in the world, right? Unless you're Fortnite. Um, and that's, yeah. you're not going to be Fortnite. Like it just won't happen. Um, it's yeah. Yeah shit and the other thing it ties back to a chat from the other week is it just makes me question what the fuck playstation are doing because they have obviously chosen to chase this trend so anyway Mm. the news continues well, yeah, um, yeah. Okay, so okay. so quickly, uh, Team Seventeen also hit with layoffs. Uh, their CEO has bowed out as well. Uh, worth noting that the CEO, I think, was the tenth highest paid CEO in gaming. I what? believe it was. Yeah, I, I know. Holy shit! He was on the same like his name on was on the same list with like Kodak and shit. Like it's it's absurd. Um, but anyway, this is the publisher right. behind uh, Dredge and Moving Out. Obviously, games we're we're quite a big fan of here at Well Played. Um, but uh, yeah, so apparently Amicable split with CEO Michael Pattinson. Uh, rest of the team have been hit with an unknown level of layoffs as well. I'm sure we'll see more news sort of trickle out over the next week or so about that. Um, this one sucks just very quickly yeah. because Team 17 are like, they're a publisher for some really fucking cool things. Like mm-hmm. they, they give off similar, not the same, but similar vibes to me as Devolver where they'll back yeah. just random crazy shit. Like just looking through, yeah, there's Dredge, Headbangers, that new like multiplayer game, Blasphemous, um, like so many, yeah. And then moving out, Conscript, like so many games Mm. that wouldn't, like they'd they'd probably find it hard to find a home. And yeah, it's upsetting to see that they're running through a a bit of a hard time. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, Just on that, I don't know if they would necessarily find it difficult to find a home but I will say that they might find it difficult to find a good home. Yeah. Well, yeah. So a platform that like that's because team 17, obviously they're not EA or anything, but they're well-respected. Yes. Mm. Yeah. It's a logo that I came to be like, Oh, it's those guys. (laughs) Yeah, Um, exactly. And I think it's the most you can ever hope to achieve as a a publisher, right. Is to have someone go. (laughs) Um, Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, another CEO that has bowed out is Jim Ryan. Adam's dad fucking taken the L. Uh, he has retired. Didn't give you the business. Mate, position. I can't believe I was He's so left close. To, left to grab a pack of smokes. To getting this prediction right. I was this close. <laughs> so close. And yet so too far. far. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's only interactive man. entertainment uh, CEO stepping down after 30 years with the company. Uh, he oversaw the launch of the PS5 and obviously saw the company through the pandemic crisis. Um, I've noted here though that like I, I think part of the reason why this news has been a uh, almost like a not a happy moment, but uh, you know, there's there's a bit of there's some feelings out there. Let's say uh, because Jim Ryan has been a big proponent for the games as a service push that we have seen PlayStation very oddly pivoting to. You know, five years too late. Um, so yeah, hopefully with him out of the way, we can refocus on the important things like Bloodborne two and others. The Order eighteen eighty six. Seven, no, whatever. Um, Don't you pander, know. James. You're better but than that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Supposedly, the new the guy who's going to be the interim CEO is mm. apparently uh, loves mobile. His thing is mobile. Oh shit! Out of the fire. Oh, the fire <laughs> Yoshida. He's the he's the CEO of Sony, so I, he probably right. Oh, not Yoshida. Yeah, the the guy you're talking about. He probably has a different view on what PlayStation should be. Because mm. I mean, I think the the big the big thing thrown at Jim Ryan was people didn't see him as one of them. Like you see Phil Spencer, and everyone's like, he's a yeah. gamer. Whereas Jim Ryan is a businessman, like suit yes, tie businessman. He does. He's not a personality. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. So I don't know where I got my beautiful personality from. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, the the guy who's taking over for him in the interim probably is a bit more that way because he's still from Sony Group. So, yeah, mm. it'll be interesting. But he's, yeah, it's all temporary, you know. The the one weird thing I'd notice is, so like, a lot of people with uh, the announcement of, you know, Adam's dad leaving, they're like, oh, finally, PlayStation gets, can stay as PlayStation. But, like, if you like a game, why would you not be happy that more people, even if it's not on PlayStation, like, all the PC ports happening, why would you not just be happy that other people are enjoying the game that you mm. enjoy like, oh yeah, those this, people can this, suck eggs. This console tribalism is so freaking stupid. Mm-hmm. You got to say though, worse, he though. has killed it though. As a CEO, he is made bank. Oh, oh uh, yeah. Sure. If you're if you're a shareholder, you'd be fucking mm. crying yeah. to see him leave. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm. it's just it's funny how timing works, isn't it? Right. Like, it looks like the Microsoft deal is about to go through with uh, Activision. So he's like, fuck it. Dan Andrews has cancelled the Commonwealth Games, getting his ass kicked. He's thought, fuck it, I'm out too. Maybe maybe Dan Andrews to PlayStation. Heard you first. That'd be my next prediction. <laughs> Fucking hell. Get him on the be, beers. Let's abs- go. Absolutely. All right. Uh, well, yeah. But let's bring it home. Screen Australia, back Speaking local. Beers. Lo- local shorts. <laughs> Fucking, I'm I'm too tired for this. Um, they have announced a pretty sweeping uh, sort of restructuring of the way that they will be funding games locally, which is actually very exciting. Um, so the Screen Australia Games Expansion Fund, um, which we've covered before, is going to be replaced by the Game 
Games Production Funds, uh, which is uh, ostensibly there to allow a smoother flow of funding with studios able to apply for up to $100,000 in funding. So this is for your your big boys. This is the, the hard hitters, right? Um, breaking it down, though, we do have the Emerging Gamers Fund. This is up to $30,000, uh, smaller funding packets for prototyping experiences. So I think as like a proof of concept for small studios, or if they can fund an entire project off of that, then I think they're also being encouraged to apply for that. This one is apparently there for more diverse voices. And so you're not your, your big studios that get the optics, right? For the smaller studios, the more experimental stuff. Um, and then there is also the Future Leaders Delegation, which is providing up to $8,000 for five developers to attend GDC 2024. Um, again, with a focus on diverse voices and encouraging access to people who normally wouldn't get that access. So it's flights to San Francisco, everything they would need to, to go and to attend and to be sort of the face of Australia out there. Um, this seems like a, a pretty unanimous win um screen australia has been uh, i think doing a really good job of promoting and focusing on game development locally and um yeah just cool to see it continuing agreed more good games i reckon will uh keep coming that's it that's it that's it that is it but that is not it for the news uh so still series overnight has well by now sorry uh, announced a that they're getting into microphones. They are getting into standalone content creation microphones. It is called the Alias series. There is two mics dropping: the Alias Pro and the the Alias. Uh, the Alias Pro will retail for. Let me get the post back up. Sorry. Uh, blah. It will retail for five. Sorry, six ninety nine Australian and eight seventy nine New Zealand dollars. If you're listening from over the Tasman. Uh, the Pro will have a USB and XLR inputs and come with what is called the Stream Mixer, uh, which is like this little uh, interface that has like some RGB lighting and uh, it's got some two, two uh, dual USB ports. It actually allows you to stream from two PCs at once. Magical, oh. right? So what, what sort of sorcery is that? Uh, and then you've, uh, but the mic has also got uh, powerful 24 bit. Uh, 40k hertz sound quality, good, good shit. You know, what I mean, it's good and it's got uh, phantom power too, because they these are condenser mics. Phantom um, power. It's got Billy Zane power, baby. Uh, comes in a <laughs> nice. Fucking hell. Comes in a nice purple spandex color. Actually, no, it comes in a grey fabricy looking thing, but it's a mic. Thanks um, for clarifying. No worries, mate. Um, and there's some other features there, so you can check out the the news piece on that. But very, very quickly, the the standard one, just the Alias Pro. Sorry, just sorry, just the Alias microphone. Uh, that is three ninety nine and five twenty nine for the pineapple lump smashes over there. That comes with just USB connectivity. Uh, it's got this built in little uh, level indicator, so you can kind of see if you if you're peaking or not. Uh, you can mute it by pushing the button, and whatnot. Uh, yeah, and this looks like it's going to be aimed at people those that are just getting start uh, starting out or just you know looking to take their kind of. Uh, get like a, a quality mic without spending um, big dollars. And it's all powered by uh, SteelSeries' Sonar software, which if you had a road mic, it fucking will fuck your shit up. But luckily, if you buy this one of these SteelSeries mics, it will, it will work beautifully. So uh, there you go. And there's lots of tools. I actually will say um, the Sonar software, even though it can, has its own little quirks and shit that does to your computer it's actually a pretty good suite of of audio software i 
do quite like. I think it uh, has some good tools in there. So, um, but yeah, there you go. Uh, so that's our the other very, 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 very quick hardware thing that we will talk about is the announcement. I think I don't know if they've been announced or not. Who knows? Because everything gets fucking leaked from Google. But there's like uh, the Google Pixel Eight series, so the Pixel Eight Pro and the Pixel Eight that has been officially announced. Um, <sighs> Pixel 8 Pro will come in at a whopping $16.99. Jesus. Yes. Which is up from, I think, $12.99 from the 7. Remind me if I'm incorrect on that. It's another 400 bucks, only like 100 and something bucks cheaper than like an iPhone You're now. either correct or incorrect, one of the two. <laughs> Whatever the, the right one is. Um, and then the Pixel 8 is... Eleven ninety nine from memory. Uh, so I got to attend this little Google presentation last week. To be honest, I can't remember fucking anything about it. I haven't had a chance to go back and, and read it all through it. But minimal kind of upgrades, I think, across the board. Uh, there's this new kind of screen called the Actua Display or something like that. Um, some of that is, is pretty good. There's a news piece on the, on the website, I hope. Uh, you can read that if you want to get more info. But the other thing is the camera's a little bit better. Once again, um, has this thing where you can take a bunch of different shots and you can pick the... Uh, if you've got six photos and one of the photos has a good face, for example, or someone's got their eyes closed, you can actually cut, you know, cut the face out and put it in the, uh, the photo that you want to use. Um, Security-wise, they talked about things with like the iPhone, how you can use your face unlock to actually pay for stuff or something. I don't know. I don't even have to use any pin code or anything. I just put my, I just go to my Google wallet and I pay and it's all Gucci, mate. So I don't know, but you can, I think you can have some extra, extra security there. They talked about the Pixel Watch 2 and the Pixel Buds Pro. I can't really remember much of anything about it, to be honest. Last week's been a bit of a blur. Um, that was yeah. informative, Zach. Thank you. No worries. So, who's keen? I know you're, you're a big fan for the Pixel Eight. So, I fucking love Pixel phones, and the the camera on those bad boys is fucking ludicrous. And the like, the editing suite that it has just baked into the phone is awesome. Like, I use the I can't remember what it's called, Magic Eraser or whatever it is, to hmm. get rid of fuckheads in your background. I use I'll be that. Using that Friday. On you. I use that all, <laughs> all the time. Mate, I've got a big fat head, so good luck with that. Um, but yeah, I, I think they it, it looks great, but I'm a man who will use a phone until it fucking explodes, so I won't be getting one. So the other thing, that, sorry, probably the, the one of the biggest things they did announce is that you're actually going to be getting seven years of, I don't know why I'm saying this, like I'm, I work for Google, you're going to be getting seven, seven years. I know, <laughs> seven years. Seven <laughs> yeah. years of OS uh, security and feature updates, so, which is huge because you've got three That's years. That's really good. With your seven. So get yeah, fucked sick. on. That's cool. Um, I've got six, mate. Rip. Do you? Yep. Hmm. Interesting. Are you sure about that? Uh, pretty certain. I want to. Uh, I want to check, check right now. Though. <laughs> I want to check on that because I don't think that's true. I think it's only three years. Anyway, uh, sorry for another time, mate. But yeah, a quick question to everyone: How do we feel about the pricing of this? Too Fuck. much. It's beyond. I think that with all modern phones, in fairness, I think mm-hmm. the price of phones is fucking ludicrous. Mm-hmm. Suppose it's a little bit smaller as well, but yeah. Anyway, sweet. 
let's fucking go off topics very, very quickly. Whip around the room if you if it's worthy. Tell us if it's not worthy. Keep it to yourself. No one cares. I watched all three Pirates of the Caribbean films. What the fuck? Hey. Glad <laughs> <laughs> you said all three. Because four and five yeah. suck. Don't worry about it. I, I just did the trilogy. Three sucks. <laughs> um, sorry. <laughs> three is terrible. Yeah, three bombs. Uh, no, you are fucking cooked. That's you are cooked. That <laughs> no, no, that, that's like insane. Two hours too long. No, it's like two hours you too are short. I want Jack more. On, <laughs> on, no, 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 okay, like, yeah, like I, I like the, the third one. The Jack Sparrow shit is the only stuff I don't like in those movies. Like Sorry, I, I, I okay. think that the Jack Sparrow stuff. Like I, I think that by the third so, film, they obviously know. Oh, you mean like him as a What's character? Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the, right. they know the popularity there. And so like there's a bit more grating humor around him because he's used right. to quite a bit. But I think everything else in those movies is like fucking perfect. Love it. I miss when blockbusters look like that. Yeah, I, I, I thought they were tremendous. I like one and two. I'm a big fan of one and two. Okay. What is, what is one of my favorite movies? I yeah, one's they very don't good. hold up at all. No. When was the last time you watched them? I watched uh, maybe three years ago and I thought that no, was try again. the most try boring again. piece up. of try pre Marvel <laughs> films. And they're so poorly paced. Okay. No, yeah, oh, all the interesting it's... stuff's in the last 30 minutes of every one of them. Oh, I fully disagree. Oh, Bill wow. Nye as a squid faced yeah. Davy Jones is the best thing that's ever been put to Cameron Nathan. So fucking check yourself. <laughs> and he's really good it. in the last 30 minutes of that film. Oh, fight me. At the um, risk of oversharing, I've got a story to tell you. You'll all like this one. So one night Anna and I were sleeping. Squid. She wakes up. With that, we're getting there. She she wakes <laughs> up and she just she's like delirious, right? I think she's still asleep. I don't know. She goes, "Can we watch the parts of the Caribbean <laughs> film soon?" I'm like, "Sure, <laughs> sure." And then I and then she goes and then I say, "Like, am I Jack Sparrow? You know, am I the captain?" And this, she's asleep. Like she's. No awareness at all. Doesn't remember this. She goes, it's "No, like you're sleep talking." Basically. She goes, "No, you're the googly eye pirate." That's <laughs> <laughs> what I think of you. <laughs> Fucking hell! Oh, no, that's good. Cop Jesus that. Christ! Burning you in your Zach, sleep. Zach mate. the googly eyed pirate Jackson. Fucking yeah, hell, mate. <laughs> even yeah, even in my sleep, in sleep I get burnt. Uh, cool. <laughs> I was doing the old. I am the captain now. Should have. <laughs> um, I saw what. It lives inside. I think is the actual name of it. It's the. Mm-hmm. It's the one you were talking about last year, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, sorry. Yes, it was. It, it was okay. It was disappointing. It was fine. It was a bit slow. It was very, very slow. It's. Mm. I think it's. Um, M rating. Had a bit of impact on its. Horror a little bit. It was a bit weak. Hmm. Um, I'd give it a. Th- Six at best, a, a generous six. That's a payday six. Um, we love not as good as Bring mates. <laughs> That's it. Uh, I have something to share. Okay. Mm-hmm. I watched Knock at the Cabin on a oh. whim yeah. with Key. Okay. And it's fucking average. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. My my bar for Shyamalan films is pretty fucking low anyway because I think he. Sucks eggs most of the time. I thought he um, he hit it out of the park with the visit though. Don't you fucking dare! I mean, broken watches. Did you like old? Nope. Okay. <laughs> no, I didn't. It. Um, I think Knock at the Cabin thinks it's way more clever than it is. It fucking um, does. Very like, much so. 
it's like spoilers, but when they make the grand, like they're the four horsemen of the epoch, it's like, yeah, no shit. It was like, it was signposted <laughs> about 45 minutes ago. Don't make it some grand reveal. We're not dumb. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also like, cause it's based on a book apparently. And Key and I, after watching it, looked up what the ending of the book was. I won't spoil that, but it sounds way more intriguing than the the bland ending that we got mm. in the film. So I'd say maybe read the book <clears throat> instead. Shout outs. Mm. Castlevania Nocturne. New hey. Castlevania series. I've only seen time. the first two episodes so far, but I've loved it a lot. Yeah, th- this thing... Th- Probably wouldn't expect me to say this. It's, it is queer coded as fuck. Like that one is front and pretty center. explicitly, yeah, <laughs> very I'm much the whole I'm way fold. through. Uh, it was it was fantastic. I thought it was brilliant. Um, I think now they've fi- finally found what they're trying to do with Castlevania as a series. They've handed it to like a whole new team here, and these folks have just made it their own and hit it out of the park. Um, I thought it was a much stronger first season than what Castlevania had. Uh, it ends at such a point where it's it's really geared up and i'm like fuck um really keen and and i'm looking forward to its follow-up seasons and this is a really impressive now track record for uh for a video game adaptation like mm-hmm. every season of this thing is at least good and nocturne as a new thing is brilliant is it going to uh, give us a new game is the hype around <laughs> castlevania going to be enough to look spawn a new game and look, I, I don't know, I hope so, but I mean, they've even still got some classics in the backlog there that are still waiting to be brought to modern consoles, like the DS games were fantastic, and I, I can definitely see the appeal there now after this. Um, but yeah, French Revolution vampires, the aristocrats of the vampires, the common folks are rising in revolt. It's it's a, you know, it's, it's a silly little concept, but it's pulled off with great effect. I'm interested to see the... Uh the pachinko machines that come out of this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm very keen to keep going with it. Yeah. Nice. Alrighty, shall we? Does anyone got anything else before we leave? No, that is film of the week. Shut up. I don't care. Move on with your life. Not this week. <laughs> but it's when I week. don't do it, it's an offense. It is an offense. <laughs> it's also nearly, nearly two hours and Buddy's at PAX. He's probably not even going to hear it, so... Yeah, yeah. Don't you, you buddy. So why are we here, right? <laughs> I'm actually messaging him right now that you're skipping 90s film of the week. <laughs> right, actually, well, maybe I'll Spoilers. take one from Buddy's list you sent me ages ago. Nah, I can't bother. That means I have to get it up. Can't bother. <laughs> Heard that before. <sighs> Good All stuff. Right. Well, Send us home, mate. We're at the there end, aren't we? Yep. Well, in the words of Jack Sparrow... Fuck, I don't know what he says to sign off. But thank you for listening to this I've week's episode of the World Played DLC content. You can check out the... Yep. Go again. You can check, <laughs> you can check out the content on well, www.well-play.com.au. There's going to be tons of stuff this weekend for PAX. We're all excited. If you're, gonna, if you're there and you see us in in the uh, in the uniform, come uh, come give us a kiss on the lips. It'll, be, the it'll be beautiful. Blue. Say hi. Um, Imagine if they're like in queue to play Super Mario Wonder or something. They're just listening to us on the potty there on Friday. Fucking <laughs> absolute. That if you're in Look, the line, if they can find right me. Now, I'll be impressed because I'll still be in Sydney for Super Mario. What is that? What's called Super Mario? Yeah, if, if you're like in line right now for Super Not Mario pretend. Wonder, stay in take line. Your, take your shirt off and like oh. whirl it around or something. Get <laughs> we'll our attention. Find you. Yeah. yeah, we'll see it. 
And Go get Zach a Blue Heaven milkshake. Well, no. Please do. Please do. All right. Boys. See you when I'm looking at you. Absolutely. Yep. Good job, everyone. Bye. 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 Bye-bye.